Welcome to the Blind Stigma Podcast. Uh, I'm Dr. Natasha Williams. And I am Stacey M. Buchanan. Our next guest is going to be Selena Caesar Chavans. She is a business consultant, coach, and international speaker. She was the former member of parliament for Whitby, parliamentary secretary to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and parliamentary secretary for, the international, for international development. During her term as a member of parliament, Selena was awarded Champion of Mental Health Parliamentarian Award by the Canadian Alliance on Mental Illness and Mental Health, Ontario Black History Society, Daniel G. Hill Award for Community Services, Black Parliamentarian of the Year, featured in the April 2018 edition of O Magazine, entitled, What Would You Stand Up For?, Salon International de la Femme Noire, Viola Desmond Award, named Chatelaine Women Magazine's Woman of the Year. Before entering politics, Mrs. Cesar Chavans was a successful entrepreneur and recipient of both the Toronto Board of Trade's Business Entrepreneur of the Year for 2012, 2007 Black Business and Professional Association's Harry Jerome Young Entrepreneur Award. She has a Bachelor of Science from the University of Toronto, an MBA in healthcare management, an executive MBA from the Rotman School of Management, and is currently enrolled in a PhD program focused on organizational leadership. We have a powerhouse coming up, so I'm looking forward to hearing what she has to say and and what I know from from following Selena on social media is she is true to who she is and she is authentic. And I saw a quote because, you know, I, I'm we're getting into this podcast thing and I'm loving these quotes. That's it. And I'm, I'm trying to implement quotes now into <laughs> into my little intro. So I saw a quote on being authentic and it says authentic is um, being authentic is a daily practice of letting go of who we think we're supposed to be and embracing who we are. Oh, that describes and Selena Lena to, to a T. Selena is who I'd say is in the black community, in our sisterhood, we say, I see you. Mm. And that is a woman, that is a queen that we You're see. Welcome to the Blind Stigma Podcast with your hosts, Stacey Ann Buchanan and Dr. Natasha Williams. This podcast aims to provide a safe space that explores mental health within the Black community, breaks down the stigmas attached while taking back our narratives. Selena, we're going to go into it and we're going to ask you to please tell us your story. Okay, sure. So I'll just give the abridged version of my story, which is um, came to Canada in 1975, around the age of almost turning two from Grenada and really didn't really have much of a challenge or, or my parents were really were great that way. I mean, I had a typical Caribbean childhood, but they taught me the value of education and the value of hard work and really excelled through elementary school and, and high school. 
And then I got into university, had a really, really tough time being the first in my family to attend university. Got into university, took a really long time to finish that degree because it was just, it was, it was hard. You know, I guess that pressure and that understanding that I had to do well and I had to accomplish certain things, none of which I did accomplish. Becoming a doctor was the thing that I had to accomplish and it didn't happen. So leaving university, I met my husband, started a family and was struggling, like just really struggling with what do I do after, you know, you, you've wasted years of university and you can't become a doctor. And it's a good thing that my parents had really instilled some kind of value of who I was in me because I went back to school and, and did a fourth year research project and did really well in that and started doing, you know, becoming a research assistant, a research coordinator, did my first MBA and started my own company uh, managing clinical research projects internationally and really had some success with that. And 10 years after having that company uh, decided that, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to what I wanted to do next, what I wanted to be when I grew up. I was turning 40 and I was, I was bored. Oh, well, not that I was bored with the company, but I wanted a greater challenge. I wanted to either bring the company international or to leave it and go into corporate. And I did my second MBA and started hearing about politics and political capital and what the, what can be accomplished as a, as, through knowing politicians, not necessarily as a politician, but knowing politicians in terms of policy and policy development. And at the time, I was co-chairing Canada's first ever national epidemiology study of uh, on neurological conditions with the Public Health Agency of Canada, and just thinking how important it is to have my particular voice in that policy development when you think about access to healthcare, especially for caregivers and people who are looking after those who have neurological conditions. And then I thought, hmm, why don't I run? Amazing. <laughs> and then I ran. Right. <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> My goodness. Isn't it amazing how, you know, just sort of the steps that you take, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to run. And yeah. wait, wait a minute. And I won, <laughs> and yeah. I, you know, and, you know, and yeah, right. I like, I like that your steps had these pivots. It's like, okay, pivot here. Okay. And pivot here. Right. You're well guided towards your journey. You're like, I'm going to pivot. And right. then, okay. And then it's just leading you, leading you. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you know what? That's an important point because I, and I'm going to be completely honest. I don't think I pivoted out of my own out of my own consciousness. Mm-hmm. I think I pivoted because I, I opened myself up to the world and the possibilities that the universe had for me. And so when I was pivoting, it wasn't, oh, Selena, you should run for politics. It was, huh, that seems like a good idea. I don't know where <laughs> I got planted. I don't know what divine being put that in my head, but yeah. sure, why not? Yeah. And, you know, so I think, I think it's about, it's about being flexible enough. And, and when I, when I first started, I started at my childhood because up until university, I had that map. I had, you know, become a doctor, then a neurosurgeon, then a blah, 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 then a blah, blah, blah. Like I had that rope and it got blown up in high, in university. Mm-hmm. And 
since then, you just have to, you have to open yourself up to the world and the universe and the possibilities that it has because great things can happen (laughs) when you're not looking for it. Right. That's true. I think what's interesting with you is, is what you mentioned is, is that you allowed yourself to be open to what the Mm -hmm. universe had where a lot of people struggle or, or have difficulty is, you know, when they get stuck in those, I have to. So you were mentioning sort of at the beginning, it was like, you know, you know, you were the first one to go to university. So you had to be, well, the, 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 I guess the message was that, you know, you had to be a doctor and you had to, and when it was not working out, you could have gone been stuck in that versus, you know, because the universe will speak to you all the time, but we also have to be in a space where we can hopefully hear what the universe is saying and be open enough to, to be guided to actually go in that direction versus being so hard set on, but this was the hard and fast message that I received. And, you know, it's, and this is where we start beating ourselves up, right? As a, as a mm. result. So, you know, being able to, something within you allowed you to be open enough to not only hear what the universe had to say, but to take a step forward towards it. So somebody talked to me the other day about, you know, Oprah talking about whispers, you're hearing whispers and you're hearing a song and you're hearing like sort of the universe yelling at you, like (laughs) get out of there or whatever. The universe can do that. (laughs) Yeah. and, And to be honest, when I finished, when I went back to undergrad and went back to that to do that research course, I actually still had in my mind that I was going to be a doctor. And I ended up working with a, a person named Dr. Donald Sutt, and I talked about him before when I disclosed my mental health issues. He was my phone-a-friend. And mm-hmm. he actually, I actually, after finishing working with him, when I started working with him, I, the job posting said that you needed to have that and you need to have psych as prerequisites for this job. And when I started with him, I said, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have stats and I don't have psych, but I have passion and I have drive and you can't teach that, but you can teach me psych and I'd learn it. You can teach me stats and I'd learn it. And he hired me on the spot. Wow. And then when I was leaving, I asked him, I said, look, I've done a really good job on this project. Can you write me a reference letter to do my master's of science? Because I will go back and I'll do my master's of science and then go into med school and he said no. Oh. Oh. <laughs> he said no. I'm going to. I said. He said. He said. You know. I'm. I'm not going to not write you a reference letter. I'm going to write you a reference letter. But I hope that you'd use it for business because from what I see, I don't want to see you working behind a bench as a scientist for the rest of your life. I want to. What, what I've seen you do in this project, you're great at business and analytics. And I was really hurt by that. I thought oh my God, who is this guy, this white middle-aged man telling me that I can't be, uh, you know, a scientist. Yeah. Right. And I decided to listen to him for some strange reason. <laughs> and I applied for my first MBA with his reference letter. And again, like, I think the rest is history from that point. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to listen to people that you least expect it from. Cause I could have taken that and said, you know, it's, you know, forget you. Right. Who do you think you are? You don't know about me. I could do this and still apply. 
but something that that shout that Oprah was talking about was, oh my God, please do not go the science route. Do something else. Yes, yes absolutely. And a lot, and again, a lot of times, you know, the universe can knock us upside the head a few times. Is do we choose? Do we choose to listen, or mm-hmm. or 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 not? Right, and it takes us on completely different paths. So you know, exactly. I completely appreciate that. One of the things I was, um, you know, you had alluded to, um, you know, saying that the rest was history, but you did start alluding to um, some of the mental health struggles that um, that you have been having. Right. Could you? tell our listeners a little bit about when you first started noticing some of your um, sort of some of your mental health struggles. So I think what what your listeners may not know of if they if they follow me um, they may not know this particular fact and if they don't follow me this will be interesting is that years ago maybe about so I've been with my husband for 21 years. We've been married for over 21 years and or we've known each other for almost over 21 years. And um, early in our marriage, we decided to go to couples therapy and we were having some challenges, nothing, nothing too untoward that couples would go through. But I just thought, Hey, let's just try this out because I'm up for trying new things and unconventional <laughs> things. And so I was, we were in the, the sessions and I'm thinking, you know, all of the problems with our marriage is because my husband just doesn't get me. Okay. I mean, it's all them. It's not me. <laughs> and at one point, our, our, our psychiatrist said, you should come in for individual therapy. Oh, geez. <laughs> I was just like, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you have a lot to unpack. Wow. Wow. Just and flat it, like that, right? Yeah. Just flat, because I think he sensed from me that I was like, yeah, I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say, Doc. It's my husband. I know. I know that. I'm on your page. And he was yeah. just like, hell no. <laughs> you, yeah. need to, you, need, you need therapy, honey. Oh, and wow. And so I guess from then I sort of knew that there was things that I needed to unpack. But I, even at that moment, because I wasn't ready to receive see it mm-hmm. you go it, I still went in there with a chip on my shoulder with that sort of I, I I don't quite think you know what you're talking about even though what you're saying intuitively to me is correct mm-hmm. I don't think you know what you're talking about and so by the time I got to losing the, the by-election so before I, I won the general election I lost the by-election and fell into a de- debilitating depression for two months mm-hmm. And that, and after that, so that was in January, February 2015. And in June of 2015, I actually, for the first time since seeing my therapist, maybe 10 years before that, went and got diagnosed with major depressive disorder. So there was a 10 year difference between the, the uh, initial couples therapy session versus when you actually um, went back. Yeah. And I think, uh, again, I mean, you could you could say that you're. Op- I, I could say I was open myself up to the universe to all kinds of possibilities, except when it meant dealing with my own stuff. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> when you got to start dealing with your own stuff, it's it's you know that's a that's another uh, pain if you want to call it that. That mm-hmm. sometimes you don't even want to deal with. He's like, I, that's every that's everything else. I I'm not dealing with this right now. <laughs> well, it exposes it exposes you to you, yeah, and you right. don't want to necessarily. You don't have time. 
and I didn't have time starting a family, a business, a, a new, you know, new things happening. Who has time to deal with me? Mm-hmm. I don't. You end up right? putting yourself at the back. Like everything else goes in front of you, right? And and sometimes, you know, for, for good reason, obviously, if you know you're, you're starting a family, your husband and that kind of thing. But a lot of times that could be just out of, you know, the fear of dealing with yourself. I'm just going to push everything else in front of me. Distraction, distraction, distraction. Un- until it can't distract anymore, unfortunately. Well, for sure. And, I, and you know, there was a lot to unpack. And I right. knew what I needed to unpack. I just didn't feel like doing it at the mm-hmm. time. It, it, it would have just been, you know, imagine yourself moving from house to house, but you're moving, you know, six houses worth of stuff. You're moving your childhood. You're moving your adolescence. You're moving wow. your teenage. Oh, the, you're moving your university life. You're moving your early marriage. And I'm packing all those boxes at the same time with, with this dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> we'll wait. We'll wait 10 years. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Can I just ask a quick question? And I mean, um, hopefully you're not too uncomfortable, but I'm just wondering when you had initially started um, sort of the couples therapy with that psychiatrist, would you be able to tell our listeners what what things did he notice that brought him to that conclusion that there was something wrong with you? Was it symptoms that you were talking to him about or, you know, I I guess I'm just wondering sort of what was the initial um, red flag that I guess that the psychiatrist um, would have seen to start to, to conclude that, you know what, no, this is more than just a couple thing, that this is an individual thing. Right. So, and, and that's a, a great question, and I wish I had asked him. So I, I don't actually know absolutely the answer to that, but I can infer from sort of the challenges that we were having in my in our marriage around my parents um, and sort of how they were they were handling our marriage, if I could call it handling. Mm. Um, and and Vidal was totally a good guy. They loved him. But I think it was the, the sense of control that they still had over my life as their only daughter okay. and someone who didn't quite become the doctor that they thought I would be. Uh. And those kind of expectations that now that you've found someone who's going to take care of you, but you still kind of need to help us out with the things that we need. So it was, it was those kinds of things that, you know, in individual therapy, he would say, well, you know, you could say no to your parents. And I remember saying to him, I'm sorry, what, what does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) I I had had no idea. And he said, well, you know, if your parents asked you to, you know, to come from Scarborough to Brampton to do X, Y, Z, you could say no. And I just looked at him and said, people do that? (laughs) (laughs) And, and he, we actually had to, we actually had as a couple, Vidal and I had to come up with exercises because it was very difficult for me to say no Mm -hmm. um, to my parents. We had to come up with these little things. So if my parents asked me to do something, which the answer should be no, I wouldn't say no. Vidal will say, hey, babe. Remember that we have X, Y, Z appointment tomorrow, so you can't do that. And I would say, oh, yes, babe, 
thank you for like actually reading my notes off my hands because I'd write because I'd be so petrified of this oh, thing going. So, you know, I'd write it down. Thanks, babe. Comma. I didn't realize. Period. That I, you know, I'd be reading it, and we had to do. I was doing those exercises for a very, very long time, and mind you, I was like twenty four, twenty five years old. Right, right. Uh It, you know, what it's, it speaks a lot to. Um, you know, how we are programmed growing up. And, you know, a lot of times, and and coming from a a Caribbean background and Caribbean upbringing, you know, for someone to say, you could say no to your parents, that's blasphemy. Like, I don't know. (laughs) know, You're like, what, what, where do you think you're going with this? Um, What? Do you want to have me killed? What are you doing? You know, like that, that's like, that's like like the cardinal sin. So I don't know where you're going with this, but imagine I could imagine that, you know, it, for that type of programming to be now, you know, dismantled and reprogrammed, I could imagine that you would have to write that down and read that script and read it over again as your insides are turning <laughs> inside out because you're petrified. It's not what we do in the Caribbean, right? Mm-mm. So, No, it's, it's not. And it was for me a moment of, it was a moment of, panic mm-hmm. like this 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 here according to this person is going to save my marriage right but it might be the end of me so why are we saving my marriage if i'm going to be dead right <laughs> <laughs> trust oh my goodness so yeah it was, it was a stressful time. oh absolutely absolutely i guess where i'd love to also go with this as well is um I know you didn't mention sort of the the background of the psychiatrist or whatever the case may be. I guess where I was wanting to go was, and especially for us in the Caribbean, therapy is not necessarily something that we do. Mm-mm. So, you know, can you explain or sort of tell a bit of our listeners or what, what allowed you to be comfortable to address sort of your issues and be able to, um, you know, engage in that psychotherapy, psychotherapeutic process? So that that's a great question. Um, I have always been someone who wanted to explore things that are different. So, you know, I didn't just want to be a doctor. I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. I wanted to, you know, be the, the first black female Ben Carson type right. neurosurgeon separating conjoined twins. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to do things that were, and, and it comes from my, I guess my parents too. You know, I participated in spelling bees. I was at association meetings. I helped Jean Augustine with her campaign. Like we were always doing things where I looked around the room and I was just like, where are the rest of the black people? Thank you. Because mm-hmm. why are we here? If there's no more black people here, mm-hmm. like, why are we doing this? And so I think out of a sense of, Hey, I've, I've done things differently sort of all my life. And I've heard that, you know, we don't do therapy and I want to know why not. Maybe, maybe it's a good thing. And, and maybe this guy could tell my husband that he's wrong. Oh, geez. (laughs) (laughs) If if nothing else, if nothing else. If nothing else, if nothing else. Tell my husband that I'm right. Exactly. And then go, go and go <laughs> fix him, please. Right. Fix him. Fix him. Because clearly nothing is wrong with me. Yeah. And right. when you go you don't into need therapy fixing. with that mindset, 
you will lose every time. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 100% because, you know, yeah. For some reason, we think that we, you know, that we're not the problem, that if we go into therapy, just let them know that it's the other person that's the problem and I don't need any fixing. So, right. (laughs) That's always the case. My goodness. Selena, I'm going to ask you, um, where are you right now in your journey? (laughs) You guys have all the great questions. Well, (laughs) oh. So I wish these answers were easy for me. Uh, I, and I'm, I'm actually writing my book. And oh, I, yes. Yeah, yes. so I, I've been signed with Penguin Random House, and I was signed with them for a very long time, Ooh. but I've, I've just recently announced. And I've been writing this book for a very long time. And so the book was supposed to be about the 10 lessons that I learned in business, you know, never take the first offer, you know, basically, you know, pedestrian type lessons that you think everybody should know, but I didn't when I had my business over 10 years. Mm -hmm. And when I went to Penguin, they said, no, we don't really want that. We want to hear your story. How did you (laughs) arrive from Grenada and become, you know, the parliamentary secretary of a leader of a G7 country? And so I started writing this, this story of how I got here and what I navigated through and all, all of my ups and downs. And I sent up the first version and they said, yeah, this is a great version, but I, it's missing a lot of pieces. <laughs> and They're calling you I out said, is oh, what they're doing. <laughs> oh, you, yeah. So I, I said, well, you could tell. And they said, yeah, you're hiding a lot of stuff. Oh, wow. So mm. how about you write the real story? Oh, shoot. <laughs> and so as I started writing and sort of exposing a lot of my mistakes and vulnerabilities, I realized that what I'd done in, in politics was was just that, exposing the truth about what we sort of keep quiet mm-hmm. as a community, as women, as women of color, as black women, as marginalized people. We tend to, we tend to you know, show off the, the nice parts about us and hide the parts that make us sad right. mm. or guilty through no fault of our own, but they still make us guilty. So I thought, you know, if I'm going to do this right, I'm going to expose a lot of this stuff. And I submitted my whole, so the whole, my whole life up until the end of politics, Okay. I submitted on October 21st, so on election day. Mm-hmm. I submitted that in. The manuscript was submitted. They loved it. It was great. And then I had to write the final chapter. And from October 2015 to today, it's still not done. Mm-hmm. I've been writing chapter five of this book. Wow. It has been such a painfully raw experience mm-hmm. figuring out the lessons so you think you know yourself. I'm 45 years old. You think you know yourself. You you know, this whole idea of I'm going out to find myself, you know, it's, that's not for us. We don't find ourselves. We, we found. <laughs> but I've been finding myself and I've been like finding these like little bits of pieces that I love and hate at the same time mm. that are blessings and curses mm. that are really what is going to set me up for next. And I think I'm at a great place where as someone who has opened herself up to the universe and been knocked down quite a few times, I'm at a space where I'm really opening up myself 
to learning about who Selena really is, to finding Selena before I go into that next chapter, which is going to be fantastic. Mm, But the next chapter of my journey. That is amazing. I think what I wanted to ask you is, is there anything that is assisting you in this journey? So the reason I ask mm. that is because, you know, we, a lot of us will talk about, you know, finding ourselves, getting ready for the next chapter. What do you think is, is enabling you to assist you with that? Is it, um, you know, for example, are you still engaged in psychotherapy? Are you, are you, um, you know, are you leaning on friends and family? How is it that you are supporting yourself or, or helping to facilitate this part this process for yourself? So, you know, just sort of surface. Yes, I'm doing all of those things. I'm still, especially during COVID-19. I've oh, talked sure. to my psychiatrist more times during this COVID-19 period. I, I actually talk to him almost every two weeks, right. which mm. I have not, I, I don't have that schedule. I usually talk to him once every six months, Okay, but I have a, a two-week schedule because it's been very, very challenging. So right. I do that. I do meditation, Oprah released her free 21 day meditation. So I'm like, yes, I will download that. Right. If you're giving it to me for free, I'm going to do that. That's right, right. Um, <laughs> and, and doing all these other things. But I think, so that's sort of the surface. Yes, I could do all those things. I think what really, and I hate saying that this is a great question, but it's challenging me to think deeper about things. So it is a really great question. What is assisting me is the fact that Throughout my political career, I was very exposed. Mm, I lived a very public life. And I did everything very publicly. I talked about my depression and anxiety. I talked about my children. I talked about the type of lipstick I liked. I talked about my hair. I talked about policy. Everything was so exposed and authentic that right now I don't have a choice but to maintain that authenticity. Mm. You know what I mean? Even yes. even though I'm in my private life, I feel like if they read this chapter, if somebody reads this chapter and, and says, hmm, hmm, you know that, that black girl kind of, hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. Queen of being real here. Right. 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 I think sisters mm-hmm. could see through that. Right. Yes. Right. Miles away. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the fact that I had this sort of realness with people, it has to continue. And that is what is assisting me. So all the other things are support. Right. But that staying true to that authenticity, that realness, that humility, mm-hmm. that vulnerability is what is the most beautiful part of this right mm-hmm. now. It's what's assisting me the most. Okay. Oh my goodness. Wow. These are great questions. I've never <laughs> been asked these before. Well, you know what? And I appreciate that you're open to answering them as well, because I think this is, again, when we're taking back our narratives, it's so important that, you know, when you talk about that authenticity, I think, mm. you know, that's definitely what we need in the community. I think we've been hiding behind this veil way too long and trying to just portray an image of what we think people want to see. And, and being able to be authentic. 
Preach and it. to say, listen, this is who we are in all of our rawness. This is us in our humanness. Mm-hmm. And it's about time that you see this. So I appreciate that, you know, you mentioned that the authenticity is at the forefront. While all of these things are, are still supports, you still have that authenticity at the forefront. And that's what guides our journey, but that's what guides our healing as well. To be I love able that. to. Oh, it, it, it yes. has to. It, yes. it has to. That authenticity allows you to be human and it facilitates mm-hmm. your healing process. Because if I have to hide behind this veil or this mask, I cannot truly heal. True. So it's, you know, it's such a beautiful thing, Selena, to hear, um, you know, <laughs> about that, um, that embracing of authenticity. And I know our listeners are definitely going to appreciate that. Uh, Selena, um, can you tell us how we can change the stigma in our community. So, okay. I, I love I this question. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that there's a couple things that we could do. And I, I don't, I, for, first of all, I want people to know that this is not a competition. This is not, you know, Selena is doing this, so I have to do this. And she's not, she's, she's, you know, I'm comparing myself to her. I know that not everybody's in a space where they could be their authentic selves all the time and they could speak truth all the time. Mm-hmm. When I came out with my story of depression, I had one woman send me a message. She remained anonymous, but she sent me a message that said, it's great that you could tell your story, but I'm afraid if I tell mine, I'd lose my job or my kids. And every time I speak, I have her in mind because I don't want people to think that I'm trying to set a benchmark to which people need to achieve or surpass. This is, this is my experience. And I think in having the ability to tell my experience in an authentic way, it'll knock down some barriers. So when we think about how to get rid of the stigma I think there's a couple of things that we could do. Number one, history has never been kind to us. Mm. If you look in many history books, you don't mm-hmm. see stories about us in an authentic way. Right. And as I said right at the beginning of this program, I wanted to thank you for allowing this platform because we need to tell our own stories. Yes. The medium is the message. And when you filter your message through a medium that has some kind of predetermined a message that they want to send, your your actual words will get distorted. That's right. You have to filter it through a medium that allows you to be authentic. Mm. So this platform, me writing my book, that allows history to be recorded in a way that I know is going to be real. Mm. But we need to be honest. We need to be able to tell that story in a very authentic way. We have been told from childhood, so that's number one. Number two, we have been told from childhood, and I'm sure you've heard it, Dr. Williams and Stacey Ann, that they're, you know, we have to be twice as good, twice as fast, yes. twice yes. as good, twice as yes. fast. Oh, 100%. Yes. yes. I, I don't want, Selena, I don't want to cut you, but I remember coming here to Canada. I had to hear that. So I grew up in Jamaica. When I came here, my dad told me that. Absolutely. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. We have to be twice as everything. And it's not a sustainable model. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I, I say that with all due respect to people who have been twice as for their whole life. Mm-hmm. I've been twice as for my whole life. And I understand that it does get you places. But the fact is, is that at 
some point you are going to burn out. And That's right. this is giving all respect due to our ancestors who were twice as and managed without therapy or without, you know, talking about stigma to survive. This is giving respect to our ancestors who've done that. But in this current environment, being twice as everything and not at least being able to speak authentically about our own personal struggles is an absolute fallacy. Like we cannot continue to exist in that medium mm-hmm. and, and survive. We are going, something is going to complicate, something is going to, to, to fail, either our mental health, our spiritual health, or our physical health, which means we actually die. That's right. So, That's right. so at some point, we, we, you can be twice as good, but you have to give yourself a break at some point. Right. So that's, that's, that's the other thing. The third thing is, you know, I'm watching this new Netflix movie called um, Hashtag Black AF. And, you know, the first scene they talk about Peacock, I can't remember, but, you know, him... The, the, the dad having to show off who he is and, you know, wear all these fancy stuff and the drip. And I don't even know what these words mean, but the drip <laughs> and the cloth and the, the, the things that I, I don't know what these words are. I'm, I'm not that young. Right. So we cannot continue. We cannot break the stigma. If, if the only thing people see and hear about us is the bling. That's the word I know. I don't know what drip is, but I'm thinking it's the same thing as bling. Yes. So that's the generation <laughs> I am. Right. So if if we are only showing our bling, the the you know the fancy car, the nice house, the blah, blah and we don't show the blood, sweat, tears, tears that it takes to get the bling or the floss or the drip or whatever you guys want to call it. That as well is not a sustainable model. It's not reality. The reality is, is that I, for me to get here, child, there were some times I didn't have a cell phone. Mm. When everybody had a cell phone, because you know what? I need to save for a house. I couldn't eat out. I couldn't go to the clubs. I couldn't do all this kind of stuff. And that's that's not like I'm struggling. Mm -hmm. That's just choices that I made. But we also had to struggle a little bit to get to where we are. So if we're only showing the drip or the floss or the bling, that cannot work. And the last thing that I would say on how to get rid of the stigma is if one person knows your secret, it is not a secret. We cannot continue to hide these things that create shame and guilt in us that are no, that are not our, our fault. Or even if they are, who cares? We're not the first to make mistakes. We're not the last to make that are going to make that mistake. These stories, and it goes right back to the the front, the the first thing I said, these stories need to be told in an authentic way to record our history so that the people that come after us don't have to have the burden of feeling alone in making mistakes Mm, and don't have to have the burden of feeling like they're the only one who made the mistake. Absolutely. That whole statement that you said, I just put a collapse on my heart. (laughs) Wow. It is so true because we are the ancestors, right? We are going to be the ancestors. And for for us to start taking back our narratives and, 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 sharing our pain and creating this what we're doing is we're helping 
the ones that come after us. And thank you for that. I, I'm telling you what you said. Just I was just felt like, oh, yes. <laughs> I, thank you. It's so true. It is so, so true, Selena. It is so true. Yeah. And I, you know, and I think I just to close that, you know, the, the whole idea of airing our dirty laundry, just w- w- first of all, it, it might just be laundry. It might not be dirty at all. How we ah, look at it. Yes. Right. How we look at it. We, we may see some people may see it as dirty, but I, I just I just see it as an, an opportunity for my my daughters in particular. So if anything, this is all self-serving and selfish. But I would never want my daughters or my son to experience the kind of pain and, a, and isolation that I felt with some of the mistakes that I made. Why? I'm not, I'm not the only one. And they won't be the only one. And yes, I, I say to them, you will make these mistakes. But if, if the only thing you know is that you're not alone, that's good enough for me. That's right. Absolutely. Selena, here is a... As we're about to wrap up, here's a fun question. I like to call it the fun question. And I and I want to ask you ask you this. And and before I ask you, I'm going to tell you a little backstory. So one time I was at work and I went to the water cooler and I saw a sign that says "Take what you need for your mental health." And there were different words that were um, they were cut out and what you could do, you could just rip the paper that you needed. Mm-hmm. And I, and I decided to implement this into the podcast where I will ask our guests, what is one word, just one word that you can use or say to sum up your journey? Authenticity. Mm, yes. you, exactly. Yes. It's- it's been a journey to authenticity. Yeah, not hiding, not being afraid. And, and through that authenticity, and it's interesting that you use the, the term water cooler, because I often say that there are stories that are told every week at water coolers, coolers. <laughs> you know, some about the football game last night, mm-hmm. and others are whispers from people who are really, you know, ashamed of some deep pain. Yes. Those stories need to be told just as much as you know, whether the whatever football game, whether the Raptors won the, the game last night. <laughs> and if we're not willing to stand in our own truth and amplify our own message about our truth, how are these very painful stories ever going to get justice? How are they ever going to be equitable? And it's usually the people that are whispering are marginalized folks who are afraid That's to right. tell their story. And we need to stop being afraid. And the only way we can get there is to be authentically ourselves, those who can't. Amen. Oh, my goodness. Selena, I have to thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to share with us on our on our podcast, The Blind Stigma. It is so thoroughly appreciated. And I know that our listeners are going to definitely benefit from you sharing your story so thank you and i appreciate you and i just want to make sure you keep on doing what you are doing because it is through your authenticity that our community is is healing and it's and it's an awesome thing oh well said well said and i will piggyback off everything dr natasha williams said and and to also let you know that 
I see you, Queen. I see you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I just want to thank you again for, I couldn't tell this story today at four o'clock, uh, you know, without you giving me the platform to do so. Oh. So I appreciate you and I thank you and I, I see you as well. And to your listeners, I, again, this is not a competition. This is not benchmarking. You're on your own personal journey. And however you fit what I've said into that personal journey or throw things away or store it for later, that is up to you to do. Just know that I think with what you're doing that you have, you've created a platform that allows for that support to happen. And I truly thank you for that. Selena, thank you so, so much. You've reached the end of another episode of the Blind Stigma Podcast with your hosts, Stacey Ann Buchanan and Dr. Natasha Williams. Thank you for tuning in. If you're a first-time listener and you like the show, then please subscribe, rate, and review us on all the major podcast platforms. Don't forget to connect with us on social media at The Blind Stigma and join the conversation. Find out more about each guest and help us to change the stigma while taking back our narratives. This podcast is produced by What's Up Toronto and Stacey Ann Buchanan Productions.